When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Yesterday was a brutal day, so let's start uh, thinking positively. The tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin in. I can't remember who that was, but that was a great idea. You know, uh, I always refer to everybody to WHK, 1420 AM, uh, the the webpage, because if you go to local podcasts and then go down to Tim Hayes, um, you can go directly to my webpage, uh, which makes it easy. So if you if you hear something you want to you want to have uh, from the show, uh, please let me know, um, and uh, you know we'll be glad to get it out to you. Uh, the, the I guess the key is is that you can also hear all my past shows. Okay, so um, if I say something today that you don't agree with or you don't think I said, you know, please feel free to <laughs> go through. You know, if you need a nap, whatever, you can listen to me again. Um, I've been told by several people, um, several clients now that listen to me, that uh, they couldn't make it at 1 o'clock and they tried on Sunday morning uh, early and uh, there the podcast was already. So maybe they're not waiting until Tuesday anymore. So uh, there you go. Anyway, something to think about. On my webpage, uh, the bulletin board has a lot of stuff. Uh, I think the thing I'd be looking at is the Market Week, which is a newsletter every week, and the Daily Technical Analysis uh, I think that's good stuff, and uh, you should be probably looking at it. We do have several things available. We have our Global Insight, which is our uh, t- year 2020 Outlook Focus article, and some of our Global in- Insight ideas. Um, also, I have a piece on the Secure Act, so if you don't know what that is, a lot of people don't have to, to take out an RMD this year. This is the first year you're going to take it out, and you just turned 7 We've moved it to 72 However, they have, you know, what they call the stretch IRA is no longer available. So if you want to stretch it out to your kids, that is not available anymore. So that's, you know, you give a little bit, you take a little bit. Uh, that was a great way to, uh, to make sure your kids were secure in the future because all they had to do was based on their age, take out a portion of the IRA. They had a required minimum distribution every year. Uh, but it sometimes gave them money for years, years to come. And when you had, um, a disabled beneficiary or a chronically ill uh, beneficiary was a really good thing to have. Uh, I also would suggest that we have our Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. And, boy, I'm telling you, uh, I, just, I just had my f- first guy, uh, our second guy, send in for that. And he was a client. And all this time, uh, you know, I've been talking to him about credit access lines. And so, you know, I said, look, you don't need it. 99% of the time, but that 1% of the time is important to have. You know what I mean? So, uh, by the way, if, if you um, so hit my email address and, uh, you know, that's that's on WHK1420 and you go down to pot, local podcast down, uh, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, or, you know, also I, I, I would highly recommend as I sent out the, an email last week or the week before, I guess it was, about, uh, hey, we're, we're expecting a correction. I've been talking about that for some time. Well, it's here. <laughs> surprise, surprise, it's here. So we made a couple of good calls this year. I mean, the first week of October, second week of October, we talked about a melt up. And sure enough, Elizabeth Warren went down in the polls 
And boom, the market melted up. And uh, and then we've been talking for the last two or three weeks that the market is very, very overbought and needs to correct a little bit. Uh, and it always corrects faster than you'd like it to, but that's the way it works, the way of the world. You know, since 1975, the amount of liquid milk consumed per capita in the United States has tumbled more than 40%. Um, Americans drink around 24 gallons a year in 1996, according to government data. That dropped to 17 gallons a year in 2018. Uh, oat Milk saw U.S. sales rise 632, uh, 36% to more than 52 million over the past year. Uh, cow's milk, though, dropped 2.4% during that time. Farmers filed 580 Chapter 12 bankruptcy filings between January and February um, 2019, according to the American uh, uh, Farm Bureau, the largest farm advocacy group in the country. That was a 24% increase. Uh, from the previous year. So farmers are getting hit. I think it's, you know, partly because of the uh, tariff thing. So now global debt surged by $7.5 trillion in the first half of, ni- of 2019, hitting a new record of, of more than $250 trillion, according to um, data released from the Institute of International Finance. I'm going to talk a little bit about that here. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I was looking at some of the stuff, uh, you know, trying to compare the Democratic Party with the Republican Party and, you know, there was a statistic that I thought was just unbelievable. And, you know, uh, President Trump has really done a war on fentanyl and a war on the opiates. And, you know, the fatal drug overdose uh, for the first have declined for the first time in three decades. Now, I, I would put that on my resume as, as a positive because, um, you know, the, the Chinese I don't know if you've ever read China White or some of those books, The Snake Trade. Um, but, the, you know, the, they've been trying to get us addicted for a long, long time. So it's interesting that's happened. You know, research has shown that technology revolutions occur continuously about every half century and consists of well-defined phases. And we believe we are in the uh, what they call eruptive phase of a new revolution. That's the age of connected intelligence when intelligence, intelligent computing will be uh, very persuasive. Uh, it'll be ubiquitous for that matter, you know. Uh, eruptive uh, begins with innovation that leads to the creation of new products, of services, of strong growth in new industries. You know, we talked about the cloud on this show in 2004. And I had more people say, what is the cloud? What is the cloud? And I had already owned VMware. So, I, you know, that was good. We're about to witness what happens when companies use predictive analytics and can make decisions instantaneously using inputs from a multiple, a multiple of endpoints. You know, for example, a smartwatch detects a irregular heart rhythm before a car- cardiac event and sends an alert to a medical professional to migate the problem. That's going to happen, folks. And it, it may behoove investors to think in terms of the longer, more powerful technological revolution and how it will play out over the next decade or more. You know, we believe the next 10 years will usher in more changes than before. Uh, creating winners who gain large amounts of market share or even few uh, forge new markets. I'm sorry, can't read my own handwriting. So the January FMOC meeting was not quite a snoozer. It was a couple things. Number one, they made a technical adjustment. The FMOC, that's the Federal Open Market Committee, uh, adjusted the interest rates on excess reserves from 1.55 to 1.6. 
in what will be viewed as a technical adjustment uh, following the spike in the repo market interest rates in September. And that was largely blamed on a lack of liquidity, liquidity, by the way. And balance sheet expansion. Uh, the Federal Reserve resumed buying Treasury bills in an attempt to add reserves back into the, in the banking system and calm uh, the markets, okay? And that's due, due to, you know, uh, what was happening at the end of the year. And that's the lack of liquidity there. So a couple things, I think. Now, we've talked about ESG or environmental, social, and governments, uh, governance-type uh, um, accounts and how they're affecting basic materials and oil. Uh, you know, if you're environmental, oils, you're out, okay? But one thing we haven't talked about, and I think this is important, is how these ESG accounts have affected the bond market. Uh, there's a number of ESG bond funds, and they've entered the marketplace with uh, more in the works, by the way. Uh, while ESG equity investing may be still garnering headlines, the growth of substantial investing in the fixed income market will probably have a greater impact on the way companies do business. Now, so just so you know, in bonds, equities, when it comes to new issues, have been on a downtrend since 2002. Uh, our net issuance was about $500 million last year, and that's down from, uh, you know, way down, way, way down. But it's actually a net, you know, they've actually bought back more stock, so it's actually a negative number. It's negative $549 million, a billion, I'm sorry. So people are buying back bonds. They're not issuing enough. In the case of bonds, uh, you know, they've had a 300% uh, or $300 billion, uh run here. So if we looked at all the new issuers, the, you know, for 2000, let's say 18, they put out $1.549 billion, uh, okay? And of that was $1.526 billion in bonds and a mere $131 million in stocks. So it's 98% of the new issues are in bonds. And if the ESG people have their way, uh, you know, that could cause, I mean, if you can't get funding, if you're, you're a, an oil company and you're looking for funding, you've got to pay an extra 200 basis points for that. That can really hurt some balance sheets out there. So just remember that when you're, you're looking at corporate bonds. Furthermore, the yield curve inverted on Thursday for the first time since the apex of the trade war last year. That spread between the three-month and the 10-year briefly slipped to negative two basis points, which you know basically signals that investors doubt that the Fed can uh, successfully revive inflation. Uh, the other thing I'll notice is that the utility group, which would look like it made a major top, has reversed back up. Uh, I was listening to Mike Aroni, who's the, uh, the chief investment strategist for the U.S. Spiders, and he, he had three things that he thought were going to happen this year um, that, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But he says missing market Euro, Europhia is found. Uh, and what he's talking about is he thinks that it, it might be time that we actually make some money uh, in some of the Euro, European uh, uh, markets. But he also says this, you, you know, uh, people are getting too too positive on the technology stocks. Uh, also, healthcare beats the broader markets, which is interesting. And the mighty dollar may stay strong. Now, I don't. I, I think I understand what he's talking about as far as uh, you know. The technology stocks are are up there a lot, and it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Now, Lori Calcivina has a price target of the on the S and P five hundred of thirty four sixty. And that's up from thirty three fifty, by the way. And uh, she expects earnings to be unchanged at one hundred seventy four. And just one of the six driver teams tracks is positive. That's deal and cash depart uh, uh, cash deployment. 
So, you know, earnings and revisions and economic policy are neutral. Sediment valuation and retail flows are negative. So uh, she prefers value over growth. She overweights sectors of financials, industrials, and utilities. She would uh, market weight, energy, consumer, staples, healthcare, REITs, and technology. She would underweight materials, consumer discretionary, communication services. Now, Fundstrat, Thomas Lee, uh, who used to be Morgan Stanley's head strategist, has upgraded healthcare to overweight from neutral. And he has several reasons why. Uh, I'll go into it. Tom Block, who also works for Fundstrat, was talking about the impeachment, and he thinks uh, it's been dominating the news. But he he thinks that uh, uh, the you know look a, a lot of people are 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 against it. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, well, let's just take a break, and we'll be back. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And if you'd like to sit down and have a cup of coffee, talk about your portfolio, uh, we have an 800 number on my webpage. But the easiest way to do it is just go to WHK1420's webpage and go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes Smart Investor Show. And my, my webpage is right there. You just click on it, and it has all sorts of contact me, email me. And um, it has my phone number, which is 888 888- Two two three seven seven four two. That's local here in Cleveland, by the way. But uh, just I use an eight hundred number just because it's easier for most people. Eight 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 two two three seven seven four two. We'll sit down and have a cup of coffee. You know, uh, the term quality is thrown around frequently in the investment world, and I think one of the things you have to do is learn how to measure earnings quality. Now, we have a general perception that high quality is a good thing for prospective investment, but it tends to be treated as a vague concept that it, that isn't often defined or measured. All right. So look, there's a great book out there called Your Complete Guide to Financial Based Investing. And the author states that high quality companies have the following traits, low earnings volatility, high margins, high asset turnover, low financial leverage, low operating leverage, and low stock specific risk. So look, historical return data has shown that companies sharing these traits outperform the broader market 65% 65% of the time in any given year. Uh, with the odds of, of outperformance rising as time goes by, by the way, and with an outperformance rate of 89% over 10 years and 96% over 20 years. Uh, such stocks also tend to be lower than market drawdowns during bear markets. So, look, one effective approach in identifying those companies is the ability uh, of a company to turn its operating profits, or what we call EBITDA, into free cash flow. And uh, that's earnings before interest. Uh, <laughs> I forgot it. Um, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, by the way. Sorry about that. Went, went blank there for a second. You know, look, there is so much a company can do to influence cash flow. And because of it, it's determined by the nature of the business. And, uh, you know, I could go into details, but look, I pull EBITDA and free cash flow from the top 500 holdings at, at, uh, at the firm. And the particular approach doesn't lend itself well to financials, healthcare plans, and and uh, insurance plans, I should say, REITs and utilities. But the other ones, uh, you can just tell who's who's the best. Okay, so it's interesting. Um, 
by the way, we have a new report on ESG investing. Uh, if anybody would like that, please let me know. Uh, it's a great, great thing. It's called the Select. We we are actually doing our own uh, Select portfolio, so something to think about. You know, one of the things uh, that people or that the investors are concerned with, number one, is protecting current levels of wealth, the health of myself or my family member, planning for retirement, cost of health care, rate of return in the market, transferring their assets to their children, and long-term care. Uh, and one of the things that we talk about is, is uh, estate planning. And our, in our new wealth management questionnaire, we have a whole section on estate planning. Uh, so if, if you're into that, our wealth plan is interactive. So you can be working on it in your house, and I can see what you're doing, which is really good. Uh, excellent. Okay, so, you know, Monday um, we had kind of an interesting day, and uh, Tuesday was even more interesting. The S&P 500 turned over on its default chart. And, and by the way, it was sitting on its default chart right at, at support. So that's kind of interesting. But we did notice in dynamic asset level investing, which our friends from Dorsey Wright provide us with, that the top three groups are technology, industrials, and financials. Healthcare moved up another four uh, points. Utilities moved up about 15 points. And consumer cyclical uh, backed off quite a bit. So that group uh, is probably going to be the hardest hit by the coronavirus because, you know, consumer non-cyclical is retail. Uh, it's, it's all sorts of stuff. So, um, by the way, Apple did uh, – Trend down, then reverse back up on earnings. Uh, that is an interesting chart. That's all I'll say. And Microsoft did this kind of the same thing, and so did Visa. So some of the leaders uh, did correct a little bit during the week, and it'll be interesting to see how they do after that. Not recommending any of these stocks, by the way. I'm just uh, suggesting their charts. Now, first of all, it's Super Bowl weekend, folks. Uh, I don't know who you're betting on, or if you're betting at all. I intend to eat chicken wings and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, watch commercials personally. Um, but remember, the if the original NFC team or National Football League team wins, it's very positive for the market. Uh, so you got if you know if you're a market uh, person, you want to v- root for San Francisco. It's that simple. Now I looked at some charts this week, and a couple things uh, disturbed me. And we just talked about the consumer discretionary group. And that includes stuff like airlines, cruise ships, gambling, hotel stocks, that type of thing. And um, they all turned over. And uh, I would guess that uh, you should just know that. And I also think we're kind of in a moment of truth for the S- for the Russell 2000. And I was looking at the ETF now, okay? Um, look, the longer-term picture, um, it it had the the ETF trending lower from May all the way to October, then it broke out and uh, you know but it, it did what is known as a pennant breakout, okay, which is positive, and we're right where we got a hold. So uh, you know, a failed pennant is not a good thing. Uh, it's usually a bad thing, and I think part of the problem with the market right now is that there's a lack of buyers. Not a lot of heavy selling yet. Uh, that'll come usually at the end of a correction, but it's a lack of buyers. You know, do you want to be long with the coronavirus uh, coming out on Monday? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. So uh, now, look, the other thing that got killed was commodities. Uh, we had a commodity euphoria going on, you know, uh, oil and all that got stuck, and they just got hit. They got, it's like, you know, somebody hit them in the backside of the head with a two-by-four. Uh, or got hit by, uh, you know, one of those uh, Tazar guns. Uh, so, look, 
the U.S.-China tariffs really had slowed commodities worldwide, uh, and this uh, the breakout of corona really did some damage. One of the things that I watched fairly closely is the, the Baltic Dry Index, and, um, you know, it was in a nice little uptrend and just broke down completely. So, uh, you know, it's an important dynamic to watch to see if global growth can continue. Unfortunately, commodities do uh, a good job of representing that. And, you know, last week and the week before that, I talked about copper breaking down, uh, you know, gold breaking out, oil breaking down. And I also talked about the 10-year Treasury yield breaking down, and it's broken down quite a bit. So uh, so the only thing I'll say is, you know, my, I told you to polish up your ideas on gold, and gold looks like it's breaking out. As a matter of fact, it could be making what is known as a cup and handle formation. And uh, I like seeing that. I, I also noticed that, that uh, I saw silver do the same thing. So, uh, you know, I'm not recommending. I, I think the gold miners are cheaper. And if you like a report on that, I think we have one too. So now, look, we, you know, I guess the question is, did last week's market weakness change the technical backdrop? And so far, I would say no. I, like I said, I thought this would be a, you know, somewhere between a 5 and 10% correction. I thought 5 to 7%. But nobody's nervous yet. You know, after a melt-up, you've you got to give back some. You've got to get these people, you know, not sleeping at night. You've got to get people back to being bearish, okay? And, you know, if that happens, that you know, they'll, the market will have done its job. So we view last, weakness, last week's weakness as part of an ongoing progression of ED intermediate-term peaks that have been developing across the, the risk asset from, you know, January of last year, okay? So has the outlook changed? I think it's unchanged. I think intermediate-term pullbacks, pauses look very normal, very healthy, okay? So don't get bearish. Um, you know, is there a trading bounce? There's probably a trading bounce, but an unlikely sustained multi-month move coming up here. I think, uh, you know, it would take a while, Uh you know, I did notice quite a few technology stocks hit new highs on their earnings and gave most of it back within the next two days. Uh, a lot of the defensive low volatility growth names broke out big, um, which is very positive. You know, that's what you want to see. The cyclicals have been broadly pulling back since the late fourth quarter. So, you know, n- nothing news happened there. Uh, I was looking at things, and I, uh, the AD line is is continuing to build to the upside, which is positive. The trend line, you know, between bonds and stocks, bonds have, are winning, but we're right at that trend line, so it could turn around. And look, I think the SPX or the Standard Poor's 500 is pausing, or it's stalling near resistance. And you know, it, like I said, it could be a five, ten percent correction. But I think the Russell's the key because. Uh, small caps have been out to lunch now for about five years. You really like to see it. Growth is uh, just knocking uh, uh, value hard. Uh, but I also notice that if I look at the S&P high beta versus the low beta, the low beta is on a technical pullback, but I don't think it's out. Uh, I did notice that a lot of the global markets got beat up, including the EEM. Uh, it's still above where I recommended it, uh, but it. I did notice that uh, – if I looked at the EEM versus the S&P 500 or the, the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, the EF, EAFE, uh, it's starting to lose some relative strength, so be aware of that. Bonds broke out big. Uh, that means, you know, uh, yields broke down very big. The U.S. dollar, um, you know, we talked about this quite a bit. I think it could go, you know, I, I said it would probably bounce. Uh, we were at 96.3 at that point. 
and the bounce is occurring. I think the overhead resistance around 98 and maybe a quarter. So uh, right around there, uh, that would be a key technical point. Oil just got creamed uh, over the last month. And, in, I mean, from January, we went from 65 the second week of January uh, down to uh, 50. So that's something to think about. Gold continues to look really, really good. Um, you know, on a weekly spot, it, you know, the momentum has come, come back a little bit. Uh, and so performance versus copper is also improved, so that's a good thing. Uh, the relative performance versus the S&P is bottoming, that's support. But it is lagging, all right? So that's something that's, you know, so... Look, safety uh, seems to be emerging, and I think that's important. And also, cyclicals have, are weak, and, but becoming oversold short term. So there could be a bounce in those. Um, I'm seeing some early outperformance in healthcare, especially medical devices, uh, and and some of the materials, i.e., gold. All right, um, utilities. What's interesting is is the relative long term performance versus the S and P is still in a downtrend. But they keep continue to hit new highs, which is really interesting. So um, they are, on a daily basis, breaking the relative performance scenario. But it's still, you know, in a in a downtrend weekly, uh, and we are very very uh, uh, overbought in the in the in the uh, long in the short term. I'm sorry, the momentum is very very overbought. Uh, so that's something else to think about. So I think it's it's a time where, you know, I've been saying for two or three weeks now, you know, we've been overbought. Expect a correction. It's starting. Now, you'll start to figure out what you want to buy. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. Uh, once again, if, if you'd like to uh, sit down and have a cup of coffee with me or just talk about things, uh, you know, you can go to WHK1420 and, uh, you know, go down to their webpage, go to local podcasts, go down to Tim Hayes, uh, and my webpage comes right up. So uh, there's all sorts of contact me, email me. It even has my phone number. I pick up the phone. Uh, I talked to a couple more people last week, really nice couple from another another uh, state who uh, are panicking uh, right at the moment. Uh, they're in Illinois. They're in Chicago area, and they, you know they had the first case of the coronavirus there, so they're uh, a little bit panicked. Um, they're talking about moving from Illinois because of all the taxes and all the stuff that's going on there, which is interesting. So, um, anyway, uh, you can call me; it's an eight hundred number. There's a local number too, I think, but it, it has Bob Dickey, who is our technical analyst, is on there every day. Under, uh, you know, he, he's he basically has. Uh, uh, daily technical analysis that's on the uh, bulletin board uh, part of the um, page. So, you know, please feel free. You know, we've been talking about the bullish percent now for almost 15, 20 years. And except for 2011, it's been a pretty good indicator uh, of, you know, when to get in, when to get out. Basically, in 2011, what happened was it turned up and then uh, it turned right back down because of the, the problem with the U.S. bonds and then being downgraded. Uh, but most of the time, it's been uh, pretty good at you know getting in, getting out. Uh, it, it does not get you out the high. It does not get you out the bottom. What it is, it's a risk management system, okay? And it was designed by a guy who wanted to be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. Now, last couple of weeks, I said the bullish percent was at 64%, 65%, and that it would probably correct, and it, it has, all right? 
So what this is is a chart. It's a point and figure chart. Uh, believe it or not, point and figure charts are still very w- much used in America and everywhere else. And um, it goes from zero to one hundred. When we get over seventy, that's that's when everybody's talking about the stock market, uh, and and you know that's when you want to be careful. When we get below thirty, that's when nobody's talking about the stock market. Matter of fact, nobody even wants to hear about the stock market. They don't open up their four hundred one ks, and yet. That's when you should be greedy. Now, two other things, uh, well, three or four other things, but two other things is a column of X's says we have the offensive team on the field. Column of O's says we have the defensive team on the field. Now, look, uh, depending on how many votes domestic equities have depends on how panicked you should be. Now, look, back in 2007 and 8, I went on this radio show and said, you, you know, you should be considering your portfolio right now because I think cash will outperform the stock market. And it did for two years. And then, you know, we reversed back up in, in uh, March of uh, 2019, uh, 2009, I'm sorry. And I said, it's generational low. But people, you know, if they don't see what I'm doing, they don't understand. That's why you need to make an appointment. Anyway, the point is, is, uh, you know, so we have many things we look at and we put them all together and it's, it's a risk management program. And look, I want to take stock in the NASDAQ 100 and uh, the market action, re- you know, on Monday's market reactions resulted in a very sharp retracement of, of most of the major indices. Uh, the NASDAQ gave up 2% to end the trading day in response to the selling pressure. And it also broke a double bottom on its on its chart at 9,000. So it, it went to a sell signal. Okay. So that's something you got to consider. Also, the bullish percent for the NDX went to a column of O's. Remember, it was at 80. <laughs> Told you it was overbought. Uh, so, you know, that is, you, you know, you got to be careful when thing, you know, when bullish percents over 80, like I said, over 70 is a, a pretty high number. The NDX is generally the top 100 NASDAQ stock. So uh, remember that. Now, you know, uh, I looked at the New York bullish percent and it was down 3.7%. It's still in a column of X's and won't reverse down until it hits 58 so we could correct a little bit more uh, and not have the bullish percent turned down. And the over-the-counter index was down 2.1%, and it's at 52%, and it wouldn't correct until uh, wouldn't turn down until 48%. Now, the world indexes was down almost 4%, and there are 48.2%. They would turn into a, a column of O's at 46. That's a lot. That's pretty close. So, you know, you gotta, those, those are names you've got to pay attention to. Now, I did notice something else, and this is weird. Uh, you know, I was looking at the number of votes, and what we do is look at relative strength, and it's kind of uh, interesting. But, look, oil broke through to a negative trend earlier in the week, which should play a major role in affecting the prices of many ener- any energy-related securities. Uh, and so I looked under the hood a little bit, and our friends at Dorsey Wright did too, uh, who provide us, by the way, with a bullish percent. And... You know, it was interesting because the dynamic asset level in, uh, investing tally score construction, the signals for each sector uh, stem from adding up the respective representatives within a large matrix. And what I thought was interesting is we went from 50 to 81 on the energy. And so it was that's what the recent ascent was, okay? So... We could take a step further to view the space and move half the rankings in, in early 2019. And 
energy popped up. Clean energy popped up more. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, by the way, uh, you know, we looked at it was still technology, industrials, and financials, and, and healthcare, which was at 123, hit 130. That's a positive. Uh, consumer cyclicals and also communication services, they were 140, uh, and they're at 137 and 140. So they didn't gain anything. All right. Um, I noticed most of the indexes were down. The uh, small cap index and the uh, mid cap index have been down for a couple weeks. And uh, same with all the uh, the other ones. They've been Weekly momentum have been negative. Uh, I did notice if I look at the S&P 500 on a 10-point uh, per box chart, it's right at support. Um, may have broken down. Who knows? I'm, I'm not sure here. But um, look. I think uh, we witnessed new all-time highs over, like, every major index, uh, which created a generally overbought market environment. And just about a week later, and we've, we've been talking about this for a month now, so this should not be a surprise to anybody, we saw fear and uncertainty make ways in the equity markets because this, uh, you know, coronavirus outbreak in, in China. Uh, I also think, look, next week is the Iowa caucus. And if Bernie Sanders takes the lead... I think that, you know, the, there could be some disturbance in the force further. All right. So, uh, you know, this is a guy who, who went went to Moscow in the 50s on his honeymoon. OK. And, uh, you know, that was the height of communism. So, I, I mean, he I don't think, you know, the financial markets were generally capitalistic are going to like that, that he's leading the way. So, um Right now he is, so there we go. But we, we went to an overbought situation. We're 108% overbought. Now, as of the 28th, we're 52% overbought. So, you know, we've come down quickly is what I'm suggesting. So, um, But look, all the bullish uh, percent indicators remain in the column of X's, which is good. I You know, I looked at dynamic asset level investing and uh, – you know, I, I didn't see anything. Domestic equities are still number one. International equities had fallen off, got a, lost a lot of votes. Fixed income lost quite a few of votes. Commodities lost a lot of votes. Cash maintained and currencies maintained. So that's fairly interesting. As far as bullish percent per, you know, we looked at sectors now, and I said 63 was a pretty high number for the sectors. We're now at 55.99. We had 19 positive sectors. We're now down to 16. I'm just going to talk about the favored sectors. These are the ones you want to be in, okay? And um, I'm going to start from the most overbought to the least overbought. So electric utilities are at 80. I'd wait on those. Semiconductors at 75. I'd wait. Machinery at 70. I'd wait. Business products and forest and paper products are at 65. I'd wait. Uh, Building, computers, leisure, electronics, uh, retail, and healthcare are at 60. It uh, depends on the stock. Restaurants and real estate are at 55. I might wait a little bit. Biotech and drugs are at 50. Uh, any weakness, you probably want to buy there. And then we got one at 30, oil. So oil, main t- that's why I said, you know, it picked up all these votes. You know, it went from 50 to 81. That's 31 votes. That's a big increase in votes. And uh, it was interesting. So, um Media went bill confirmed, so did an oil service and telephone, but they're not favored. So, you know, you just want to watch those. Transportation, waste management, and gaming went from favored status down, and then food came to average. Uh, so a lot of the food stocks looking interesting. Um, let me go over that. I did notice some of the Eurozone ETFs 
especially the United Kingdom, broke their downtrend line and broke out a little bit. be interesting to see how the, uh, the EEM works. Uh, but some, some of those names, uh, you know, they were at three. So there's three is a pretty important number on uh, the Dorsey Wright Fund Score system. So if you're over three, you're in good. And then both of them over three, so that's good. As far as fixed income is concerned, the longer-term rates have reversed course and de- declined uh, recently and declined a lot. They were at one – the 10-year Treasury was at 1.9. It's now at you know 1.56 or something like that. So the, that means the bonds have broken out. But just remember, they did go inverted, all right, the, between the three-month Treasury and the, and the 10-year Treasury. We're now inverted. So I guess uh, – you know, fixed income, U.S. corporate bonds, U.S. preferreds, and convertibles, and high yields have been the top performers. I would suggest that the biggest vote getters, though, have been long duration, international sovereign debt, and inflation protected. So, uh, commodities just got uh, beat up, with the exception of gold. You know, oil broke out and then broke down. Uh, so that was that's really interesting. So, um, you know, we went from an up, you know, drawing an uptrend line to drawing a downtrend line. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, we talk about relative strength regularly. It's a measure of how a stock is performing when compared to something else. In this case, it's the S&P 500 Equal Weight Index. Didn't have a lot of buy signals this week for some odd reason. <laughs> uh, Honovanian Enterprises, they're going to cyclical goods. Alpha Protect, that's one of the companies that makes uh, masks. Okay. Uh, Theravance Therapeutics, uh, they are in uh, making vaccines. Liberty Broadband. Uh, on the sell side, this is where you want to pay attention. You know, uh, check your fundamentals again. Arch Best, they're in industrial goods. Uh, minus uh, Ventura, which is basic materials, BVN. Uh, Century Aluminum, Comstock Resources, Corning. Uh, CF Industries, Kadaz, Williams Company, uh, VVVV, uh, Scorpio Tankers, National Bank Holdings, Vista Energy, BJ's Wholesale, and uh, the rest is history. So uh, those are names you want to be careful with. I just think that, you know, um, you want to start doing your homework a little bit more. Stay tuned for the Insiders. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. And, uh, you know... It was interesting because remember when I, I talked about the first week, it was the first week of January, I said, uh, we went from having all sorts of insider buyers to hardly any. And sure enough, three weeks later, the market sells off. So there's a reason we look at insiders. Insiders know their business better than we do. That's for darn sure. And when they start to buy big, you should pay attention. Um, also, when they start to buy and they haven't been buying for a while, that's very, very important. Okay. But they, they tend to be early, and I'm just looking for the large quantity buys, okay, because, you know, the smaller numbers, unless there's multiple numbers, you know, like there's 20 people who buy, uh, I'm looking for the bigger buys, okay, uh, because that's usually, you know, <laughs> like you buy for one reason, you sell for a lot of them. And if you're buying, you're looking to make money. And if you're putting up big money, you're looking to make a lot of money. And this one was interesting because it hit a new high and then Bounce backwards uh, pretty hard on Monday. Uh, so the parents of some sub of advisors. Okay, so they're not saying who this is, but uh, Leg Mason they bought twenty million 
dollars worth of stock. That's a lot of money, and I don't know what the parents of sub-advisors are, <laughs> but that's probably a pretty good sign. Also, Anthem. You know, Anthem got killed. It was trading at 310 just to like, uh, I don't know, the first week of January. It's now at 265, so it got hit pretty hard. And then walks uh, the, one of the directors buying $2 million worth. And then they did the same thing to Discovery Financial. Discovery was at 92 back in August and is now at 75, 74, I think. And I noticed that the CEO stepped up and bought a million dollars worth. And three exec, executive vice presidents each bought about $250,000 worth. So you like to see management step up when their stock is down and buy the stock. And uh, they did in a big way. Now, here's something that is important because this is a stock that's just been beat up. It's a cheap, cheap stock. I'm not recommending it, but it's just a cheap stock. Um, it's Freeport-McMoran. I mean, I think they're trading at what their gold you know, mines are worth, and they have a huge copper business and a huge oil and gas business. But a director uh, bought $558,000 worth. And if the notes are correct, this is the first buy in a long, long time time uh they made a lot of buys back when the stock was 30 dollars uh when they bought a bunch of oil fields and they were wrong all right so this is the first buy since then and they bought a lot all right so uh now here's uh a company that is very interesting i've read some articles about it but it's small it's not for widows or orphans app adaptimmune therapeutics they're from the united kingdom by the way um the stock was $6 or $5 on a big breakout on some important information, pulled back to three ninety six, and two of the biggest directors, uh, David Matt and Ali Ben Bahami, both bought $5 million worth of stock, and that's, that's a lot for a company like that. I thought it was interesting. Um, well, you should look both those guys up uh, because they're pretty smart guys. And then here's something, you know, we talked about this a while, ago, while back about, uh, I think, I don't know, maybe month, month or two. I don't know the exact date. The Voya Prime Rate Trust. It was trading at $4.80. And uh, Sabra, or Saba Capital, which was a 10% owner, bought a lot of stock. It's now at 5.13. And they bought another $1.8 million, which you know they are now over the 10% mark. And it's got a good little yield. So maybe they're buying it for the yield. Uh, who knows? And uh, PBF Energy. Boy, the insiders are buying this, uh, and also Trinity Industries, like like hotcakes. We had three more uh, buyers of up to $10 million worth. I think it was a little bit more than that, of PBF. Now, this was a $34 stock. It's now $27. Uh, and Trinity, which was a $23 stock, which is now, uh, I think it's 20 dead even, had two more directors, uh, but also one director who's been buying up. He bought another $3.9 million in two purchases. So that's kind of interesting. And then finally, Four Corners Properties Trust, which is a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust. Uh, William Lenehan, I'm sorry, he's a chief executive officer, bought uh, another 80, uh, he bought, well, he bought 88,000 shares and he kept 44,000 of them. He exercised. Uh, so this is, but his, his stock option was not that great of a price, by the way, just so you know, but he still owns, he owns $339,000 direct or shares direct. So of a $15 stock, that's a lot of money. 
I've also noticed that the CFO bought $457,000 and there was three other buyers. Okay. So, all right, look, you know, we've been talking about choppy seas for some time now. Uh, we thought that the market t- volatility would pick up. We've been talking about the overbought situation. Um, I, if you were listening, I hope you raised some cash. I, I raised a little bit of cash. I, I didn't go as deeply as I'd like to because I own a lot of really high quality stocks, uh, which is my problem. And, um, but look, we have some international concerns now, along with uh, you know people are worried about uh, you know domestic earnings and and um, look, they're they're pulling us in opposite directions for some time now. But I knew we were starting to to get uh, you know a little bit crazy because uh, I was getting phone calls with people buying things that you know they're retirees, they're buying like five dollar stocks and that type of thing, and I I try to push that off, especially times like this, but. Um, people have been calling me and say, Tim, what do you think the bottom is? Well, look, I, I think we peaked out at 3,342 and I would suggest somewhere above 3000, just above 3000 would be a good bet. Okay. Um, you know, cause we broke out and now we'll pull back and, and then I think you want to, uh, load the boat, you know, uh, I think we're still in this four year cycle and we're just beginning it, which is usually good. Now somebody asked me about the Dow. The Dow got up to twenty nine, what uh, three fifty, and I think twenty, just a little bit below twenty seven fifty, or twenty seven thousand five hundred will probably be a good place. Um, and, and you know, I think we've started the correction. It's going to take a little time. It's not going to all happen right away. It should be hard and fast, though, if, it, if it's what I think it's going to be. Um, so I just think you know you've got to pay a little bit closer attention. Now there was one index or one or two indexes that really went crazy above and got got above their uptrend line. And that was the Dow and the NASDAQ. The S&P 500 stayed within it. So I would suggest that, uh, that those will correct harder uh, than the, the S&P 500. So, uh, you know, it's something to think about. Now, I think the real thing that you have to consider, and, and this is, uh, this may be a Fed problem, is that the 10-year yield, you know, we talked about this thing being in a, in a triangle pattern. And usually if you break to the upside, you know, yields were going to go higher. We have broken down hard on heavy volume to the downside. We were at almost 2% and we are now at 1.58. That's a big move in the bond market. That means a lot of money was made if you went long bonds and a lot of money was lost if you went long yields. So you have that with copper and oil breaking down as hard as they did. And I would suggest that there's probably, you know, weakness in the economy. And this was before, let me say it again, this was before the coronavirus. I mean, I didn't know about the coronavirus when I was talking about this three weeks ago, okay? I just said we were overbought and that I thought we'd correct. Now, we also talked about the semiconductor group being pretty overbought and that we thought they would correct. And uh, I think they'll correct somewhere like 3,900 on the, uh, I'm looking at the Dow Jones Semiconductor Index, or uh, maybe 4,100 would be the first uh, stop. So there we go. Now, look, I think uh, the dogs of the Dow, uh, you know, is is getting interesting because, uh, you know, Exxon hit a new low this, this uh, week, um, had a bad quarter, and I, I still think that, uh, you know, this is something that goes for a long, long time. So, you know, it's a year. All right. So 
Don't bail out yet. Also, you know, I talked about last week, as January goes, so goes the market. Now, I didn't see the exact close on Friday, but, you know, if you look and, you know, we were positive up until today. And today we may have gone negative for the month. So I think, uh, I mean, uh, Friday. So I think what you have to see is uh, we had to close down under 350, which uh, I don't think anybody's going to go long on a Friday knowing that the coronavirus is out there and there may be a surprise. And we also have Bernie Sanders leading uh, the the way in uh, uh, the polls in Iowa. So I would suspect that, uh, you know, we, we probably had a negative January by a small amount, which may mean this is going to be a tough year. Who knows? But it was looking great for a while there, and then the coronavirus hit, and it hit hard. So it's something to think about, and, um, you know, I, I try to tell it as it is uh, in, instead of, uh, you know, uh, lie and cheat and steal and all that stuff. So, look, I think the one bright spot, oh, I hate to say this, is gold. Okay? Gold stocks, we've been harping on this. You know, we talked about it. I believe in the first week of June, we sent out a note to everybody that was on our list. If you'd like to get on our list, go to WHK1420, go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes and just, you know, there's all sorts of email me, you know, Tim and all that good stuff. But gold, you know, has pulled back and now it's rallied back up. So it'd be interesting to see if it makes this cup and handle formation, because if it does, cup and handle formations are usually very, very positive. And, uh, um, you know, the problem is I look at a, you know, if I look at a point and figure chart, a short term scale, uh, you know, we're in a column of O's, the gold continuous, we're in a column of O's. But if I look at a, you know, an intermediate thing, we broke out. <laughs> so it, it depends on, you know, where you're looking. I just remember to everybody that Apple and Microsoft are now almost 8% of the S&P 500. Very rarely happens. And I don't think it's going to stay that way. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, also, crude oil, I, I think, uh, is done for a while. You know, it, it made a double top, and you got to be careful. So what would I do now? I'd look at uh, dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, uh, our top ideas. I'd be looking at, uh, you know, our, our global income ideas, our, our, our 2020 outlook, all right? Uh, also, you know, if, you, if you're – I know everybody hates to be in, in hock or, or have credit. But, you know, sometimes it's important to have a, a credit access line. Uh, the Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook is important. And also, it's, you know, it's a good time if you're sitting on your hands to do a wealth plan. You know, you can now do estate planning on it, the whole kit and caboodle. It's interactive. You can play with it whenever you want. It's, so it's, it's, it's in constant motion. Just remember that. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Uh, remember, WHK 1420 AM if you want to have a conversation. This is Tim Hayes. The Smart Investor Show, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.